invite you to grab a copy of your scripture, uh, and if you've got that note sheet or if you've got something you want to uh, take notes with, um, there's quite a bit to take notes to today, I hope, and so I want to encourage you to do that. And uh, we are starting this series today called Divine Personality, and uh, just in looking at all the things that we could be discussing and talking about as a church, you know, there's a question for me that I really had to wrestle through with this is, why are we going to study this now? I mean, there's lots of cultural things we could speak to. There's lots of, you know, things coming out of the last year that we've been in that we could speak to. Why this series on the Holy Spirit and why do it now? Well, I go back to um, such a foundational text in our lives, Deuteronomy 6. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. You see, this series, this, this topic, this, this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, as we're going to look at specifically today, uh, this is about loving God. And if we are going to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, then we need to pursue to whatever degree our minds can attain it, some understanding of actually who this revealed God is to us. Because see, when we better, uh, more fully love God, then we can in turn more fully love our neighbor. And one of those ways of understanding begins with uh, this discussion about um, the Holy Spirit and specifically today, building a foundation for the Holy Spirit with the doctrine of the Trinity. God has revealed himself to his creation, and one of the ways that he has done this is through this specific doctrine. Now, here's what I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you to do today, and really for the next few Sundays. I really want you to come in eager to learn. I want you to come in eager to, to be a, a, a sponge where you're just going to try to just soak up as much as you possibly can. And then what we're going to do is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate these, these truths that we're going to see in Scripture in our hearts and our lives. Whether you're, you're old or whether you're young, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord wants to illuminate this in our hearts and our lives. And so we're going to take a, a, a deep dive over the next few weeks, a quick dive over the next few weeks on a few of these things. And, and the resources, this is so important, and I want to encourage you because it would be impossible for us to touch on everything. But there's a few primary resources that I do specifically want to mention because anything that you think over the next few weeks that I'm going to say is smart has come from these resources, okay? So just full transparency here. This is not me, all right? So I want to mention these. They're actually at the bottom of your handout, but for those listening at home as well, I want to mention these. The first one is a Scott Swain's book called The Trinity. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce has a book called Foundations of the Christian Faith that if you are looking for a book to um, challenge your heart and your life in multiple areas of, of doctrine in the Christian faith, I cannot recommend that one enough. Uh, Fred Sanders, such a powerful book, The Triune God, a book called Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett. And then uh, our own Randall Johnson, uh, who's been teaching our First John class, has written several uh, uh, blog posts on his blog. It's thimblefulloftheology.com. He's written several posts on his blog pertaining specifically to the Trinity. He sent me that information. I'm going to be using some of that over the next few weeks uh, as well. And I also want to say this, is my style a little bit over the next few weeks is going to be slightly different. 
And really the reason is because I want to take a posture of teaching us, of equipping us to really begin to try to grasp this. And because this doctrine is so complex, I'm going to be maybe reading a little bit more than I would like to read sometimes, but here's why. It's because I do not unintentionally want to lead you away and astray with my words. I do not want to unintentionally say something because I've got a bullet form outline here and, and I kind of drift off and I say something and unintentionally it leads you astray. I need to be precise with my words over the next few weeks. So my encouragement for you is this, is to let every one of these messages that we're going to do over the next few weeks be a jumping off point for you into the doctrine. Think about it like this. Uh, these messages each Sunday are going to be like the diving board. And what you can either do is you can either stand on the diving board and look out into this big swimming pool full of all these rich truths and go, wow, that's nice. Or you can take this diving board that I'm going to try to build for you each week over the next few weeks and you can get right up on the edge of that diving board and just like you were when you were three or four or five years old the first time, you went and you jumped off. So that's what I want to encourage these, you to do over the next few weeks. I want you to take these verses. I want you to take these ideas. I want you to buy these books, even if you want, and dig deeper. Because here's the reality. Theologians for years have attempted to fully grasp the ideas contained in Scripture about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. And there is literally, there is literally no way in one message or one sermon series we could plumb the depths of what scripture has to offer for us in these areas, okay? So he, diving board, we're jumping off into the big deep end of this, but, but Sundays for the next few weeks, they're just the diving board for your soul to get you into uh, swimming deep into these ideas. So if you're taking notes, the first blank there that you can fill in is this, is what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? We need to try to begin to wrap our minds around this. What is the Trinity? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is that it is a core doctrine of our faith. And that while the details have long been uh, debated, uh, theologians have explored these waters for centuries because the doctrine of the Trinity reveals who our God is. And the most foundational principle of that is this, is that God is one. God is one. As Christians, we are monotheists. You can write this down. We are monotheists. It means this. We believe in one God. And other religions may bring in additional gods into their belief system, making them polytheists or multiple God worshipers. But there is no other world religion that makes the claim that their God is three in one. Here's the truth, though. As I was writing this out, I began to think about this. We may be confessional monotheists as followers of Jesus. We, we may say that. We may declare that with our lips. We may sing about that even on a Sunday morning. There's no God but you. You're God. You're one. We worship you. We worship you alone, whatever it may be. But many of us, and I am as well, a practicing polytheist, 
There are things, many, multiple things that our hearts are drawn to, to worship. And as followers of Jesus, as Christ followers, we are continually pulled back to this idea. That's why there's tension in this now and later idea of the kingdom of God is because the kingdom of God has not fully come. And so we wait and our hearts are drawn, but we know we need to come back to God because God is one. Our first passage that we looked at today in this Deuteronomy 6 passage, it is the key Hebrew text for understanding the idea that God is one. But there's numerous passages of scripture that, that uh, uh, lean to this. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 8, 4, about eating food sacrificed to idols, Paul writes. Then we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is no God but one. Ephesians 4, 6, we're going to come back to this passage later. Uh, One God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in all. And James 2, 19, Hannah actually referenced this passage earlier. You believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe and they shudder. What's unique about the doctrine of the Trinity is that it stands against all other religions. There is no other religion that will make this claim. There's no other religion that will make this claim that their God is three in one. The second thing I want you to understand about the Trinity is this, is that we need to think about it in these terms. And this is key, this is important for us. When we think about the the three in one and God is one, we need to think about it in this way, is we need to think distinctions, not divisions. Distinctions, not divisions. The Athanasian Creed says it this way, that we worship God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. You guys have a great day, see you later. I mean, that is, to unpack even that statement in an ancient creed, we could spend weeks doing. But it's foundational for our lives as followers of Jesus. Because when we understand this revealed God to us and the way he's revealed himself in scripture and the way that he reveals himself to us every single day in our lives, it should cause us to love him more. And when we love him more, it fosters a better love for ourselves, a better love for our neighbors, a better love for our community, a better love for our church, and a better love for our world. Scott Swain in the Trinity says it this way, the Bible identifies the three persons of the Trinity with one God, given the character of God's oneness as expressed in the doctrine of divine simplicity. We may rule out two Trinitarian errors. First, the three persons of the Trinity should not be considered three parts of the Trinity, i.e. being each person being one-third of God. That when added together, compose God as a whole. It's real easy for our minds to think that way, but Scott Swain says, no, no, that's a, that's a heresy. We shouldn't think that way. Such a view falls, uh, fails for a simple reason that the one God has no parts. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are not parts of one God. Each person is the one God in all his fullness. Colossians 1.19, Colossians 2.9. The Father is the one God in all his fullness. The Son is the one God in all his fullness. The Spirit is the one God 
in all his fullness. So, so as we think about the Trinity, as we think about this in our lives, one of the ways that you know, we've sought for years and years and years in the church is how do you illustrate the Trinity? And I want to say this, there's a lot of uh, really terrible ways to illustrate the Trinity. Uh, and no metaphor or illustration is ever perfect when it comes to something this simple and yet very complex. But James Boyce has a really helpful way to think about the Trinity, and it's this way. Think about it in this, uh, air, heat, and light. Air, heat, and light. You have to have all three present to have any one present. And to remove any one of them would void the other two. So think about the room that we're in right now. There is air, there is heat, and there is light. And for there to be a void of any one of those three, they work together. And for there to be a void of any one of those three, the other two would cease to exist. They are intertwined together. You cannot separate them. Yet they have unique and distinct functions. So then we have to ask the question, well, where is the Trinity in the Bible? Here's what's interesting is that actually nowhere in the Bible is the word Trinity ever translated. Nowhere in the Bible, you will not find the word the Trinity anywhere in the Bible. It actually comes from a Latin word, Trinitas, that means threeness. And this idea comes from the word Godhead. God, although one, exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, we're about to jump off the deep end really quick. Are you ready? You ready? Get your thinking caps on, here we go, all right? Let's do this. Here we go. We see the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, show up in, in three unique places throughout Scripture. And, and I've just got a sample of each one of these three, but they're there in your notes, and the Scriptures that correspond with these samples are up in your notes as well. We won't have time to go through all of them. We can't exhaust them. If you're a Bible scholar, you may immediately think of some I've left out. I've not done it intentionally. You just don't want to be here till 7 o'clock tonight, okay? So, so the first place that we see the doctrine of the Trinity show up is in this idea, okay? I'm going to give you this word. You're going to have to write it down, and then you're going to have to think on it the same way I had to think on it for several days. The first one is this, inner Trinitarian conversation text. I told you my style was going to be a little different this, this, the next few weeks. Inner Trinitarian conversation text. And here's what that means. This is where we see in Scripture the persons of the Trinity speaking to each other and about each other. And if you've been around church long enough, you already begin to think, oh, I know what he's talking about. Inner Trinitarian conversation text. I want to give you a couple of them. Here's the first one. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. This is the baptism of, the, of Jesus. And what do we see right here? When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened up for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Luke gives us a little bit different picture of this and actually says that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. We should not miss this obvious point here in Matthew that God, loves, that God the Father loves the Son and communicated that love by the Holy Spirit. 
And in this we see the love relationship and cooperation between the persons of the Trinity. This is one occasion where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all manifested at the exact same time in Scripture. Another place, if you want to go and you want to look further into this, I'm going to give you the references real quick. Matthew 11, 25 through 27 is another sample text that you can look at. And then Isaiah 6, 8. This is when the prophet Isaiah uh, is, is, is trembling in this moment. And, and he records this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? This is the inner Trinitarian conversation text. But then the other way that we see the doctrine of the Trinity expressed in Scripture is through cosmic framework text. Stay with me, I promise. I promise you're going to have a lot to talk about at lunch today. Cosmic framework text. And this is where we see the the, the moments of creation, the cosmos, God's work in the cosmos in relation to the Trinity. In Genesis 1, we get a very, very clear picture of this, and one of the commentators, Swain, said this, functioning like a playbill. He describes Genesis 1 as like the playbill for the whole Bible. It's a playbill for theatrical production. These texts identify characters and provide context for grasping the drama of creation, redemption, and consummation. Genesis 1, what do we get? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surfaces of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then down in verse 26, we get this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. John's gospel, which parallels so much in, the, in John's prologue, the first 18 verses, his gospel parallels so much of the Genesis account, we get a couple of verses that read this way. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God. We see Jesus with God, and the Word was God, giving us a symbol there of unity between God and Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 18 concludes this prologue, says this, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This text, John 1 uh, through 18, uh, is maybe one of the most pivotal, pivotal texts for understanding God and understanding the doctrine of the Trinity. Another text that you could look at is a Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We won't look at it today, but Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So we see the inner Trinitarian conversation text and the cosmic framework text where we see the, the Trinity show up in these, these moments of creation, of, of the beginning of, of, of redemption, we see that. But then lastly, we see it in the redemptive mission text, which display the sending or the mission of the Son and sometimes the sending of the Spirit as the great divine acts where God fulfills his redemptive purpose. I want to read one of the parables that Jesus uh, uh, told 
uh, shortly before he was arrested. And oh man, if, I wish we had time to really dig into the, the moment here where Jesus tells this and the significance of it, uh, because it would have been uh, very offensive to much of his audience. But here in Mark 12, it's the parable of the vineyard owner. And I want to read it in its context here so that we can understand this. And then we're going to put this redemptive mission text into this context. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit uh, of the vineyard from them. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them. The servants here we're, we're going to think about as Old Testament prophets and those uh, vineyard workers, uh, think of those as uh, the religious leaders at the time. Then he sent another, and they killed that one also. He sent many others, some they beat, and others they killed. And then, here we go, listen, listen, this is Jesus telling this, and listen to these words. And he still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come, and he will kill the farmers and, the, and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. And Jesus, or Mark, ends this parable by saying what their reaction was. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd, because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, so they left and went away. What do we see here? Verse 6, we see a beloved son. We also see that he was sent. And we also see in this text that the son who was sent is different than the others that were sent. You see, the others were hired hands, they were prophets, but this beloved son was the heir. Right here in this text, we see this redemptive mission text of the doctrine of the Trinity where we see the picture of God and Jesus, and Jesus being a co-heir, a co-owner of this vineyard comes and is sent by God. Galatians 4, I love this text of scripture, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Again, what do we see here? We see God, the Father, has sent and who has he sent? He has sent his son. And he sent his son when the fullness of time had come. And here we also see clearly the spirit of his son has, is represented in this text. It is now living in us. It has come in us. It's into our hearts. Swain says, here gloriously we see how God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, becomes our Father through the Son, by the Spirit, making us sons of God by the incarnate Son of God. 
enabling us to enter into the Son's praise of the Father by the indwelling Spirit. The God who speaks to God within the life of the Trinity redeems and indwells us so that we too might speak to God in praise, in praise of the Trinity. Now hopefully I have got you right up to the edge of the diving board here and you are just as confused and overwhelmed and somewhat in awe of our God. And I want to say to you this morning, that's okay. It's okay to have a moment where the God that we worship doesn't completely make sense. Because who would want a God who would want to worship a God? Who would want to give their life to a God that they could completely understand? That is the mystery of God. That's why he's God and you and I are not. So how do we apply the doctrine of the Trinity in our lives? You know, we've just spent this um, 50,000 foot, you know, take, we've taken the last few minutes and done a 50,000 foot flyover on this doctrine of the Trinity, but how do we, how do we apply it? Well, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher at Westminster Chapel from 19, early 40s through the 60s, said this, true theology always moves the heart. So how should our hearts be moved this morning? Well, the first way is this is this should humble us. When we have these moments of maybe a lack of clarity, when we have this, these moments when we say, man, I've never heard this before. I've been going to church all my life. I've never heard, you know, inter-Trinitarian conversation texts. Like, you know, like when we have these moments and we go, I, I don't quite get it, that's okay. When we consider the God, our God and the expanse of our God, and the simplicity of him, but also yet the complexity of him, it should, as his created, as his, as, his, as his created beings, it should humble us. We can't and we won't fully grasp it. We can know God, but not fully grasp God. And that's okay. The second thing that I want, that, that the ways that we can apply the Trinity to our lives is this is that we need to, we need to sit in this and, 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 and just ponder this for a moment, that God loves his creation so much. He loves his creation so much that he revealed himself in these distinct ways so that we, his creation, could know him. Now just think about that for a minute. You know, we got Mother's Day coming up next week. Some of you just had a panic attack and your blood pressure sensor went off. It's okay. But, but you think about what we do in our lives to show our love to our moms, our spouses who are moms, to as we, as we enter into Mother's Day and those who want to be moms and, and have not been able to uh, physically, been able to conceive yet, or, or maybe Mother's Day carries pain because we've lost our mom or we're estranged from our mom. I mean, it, it could be a, a myriad of different emotions, but, but we, we walk into next weekend at thinking about Mother's Day and we think about all the different ways that our mom has revealed themselves to us, revealed their love to us, the way that they 
pack our lunches and, and get us registered for school, the way they try to buy clothes for us, the way they, they, they're available on the phone to answer phone calls whenever we call. I mean, all of, all of the variety of the ways that a mother's love has, has attempted to reveal themselves to her children. And we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, and it goes so much further. That he loves his creation so much that he revealed himself in these three ways. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the last way is this, is that this should, prayerfully it should, like the prophet Isaiah cause us to simply be in awe of our great God. Our great God that, that the, the, the bottom of the swimming pool of the understanding is infinite. We would never reach it if we tried. And yet he says, I love you so much. And I want to give you one other way that I was just think literally just now thinking about one other way that we can apply the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity to our lives. As we think about the, the redemptive nature of God and this arc of redemption all through Scripture that we see is this. Is aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that our God does not require us to fully understand him before we can know him? See, here's what's powerful about the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity frames up the gospel for us. Because the doctrine of the Trinity will not save us. It is only the gospel that saves us. It is only Christ. He came, he died, he buried, and he rose again. That is what, confessing that with our mouth, that is what saves us. It is not a doctrine that saves us. And while we can explore the riches of this doctrine, while we can, 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 it can cause our hearts to fall in love with God more, this is not what saves us. It is the love that God the Father had for his creation that sent his son, willing, obedient son, and then through the Holy Spirit has revealed this to our hearts and lives and draws us to him. I want to close us by reading that first text that we read. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. And what, the way that we want to respond this morning is two ways. We want, to, we want to respond by taking the Lord's Supper. And so I want to ask if you've got your, um, your elements, uh, you can grab those. Um, I'm actually going to walk over here and grab mine real quick. We remember Christ's sacrifice. We remember his death on the cross. We remember his willing obedience. And he asks us that when we come together, that, that we remember him in this way, we come together and we, we, we take the bread that he says was given to us 
to represent his body, his broken body. And we take that bread and we remember him. We remember Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We take that and we remember it. We take and we eat. And then Christ said on that same night, in this same moment, he said for us that when we gather, when we, when we as often as we can, that we would take the, the cup. And this now symbolizes Christ's blood that was poured out for us. This redemptive ark of creation and the redemptive heart of God. And we take that cup and we drink and we remember him. So let's take and we drink. Father, we thank you and we love you. Thank you for revealing yourself in this way. Jesus, thank you for your willing obedience to come and to step out of heaven and step into earth and to suffer the way that you did and to die but thank you that you did not stay in that tomb, that you triumphantly and gloriously were resurrected. And Holy Spirit, I, I thank you because you live in us. You guide us, you comfort us, as we're gonna look at over the next few weeks. You, you equip us, you encourage us. Thank you that we are not alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way that we're gonna close uh, over the next few weeks, the way that we're gonna close our services out is we're actually gonna respond in singing with an old hymn, an old hymn that is uh, the doxology. Maybe some of you know it. And uh, it's, a, it's in many ways a confession of our faith. Uh, it's a declaration of who God is. And there's just not that many songs out there that encompass the Trinity. And so this does. And so we want to stand together. We're going to sing. And, and after we sing this song through a few times, uh, Jeff and Hannah are just going to dismiss us to, uh, to be dismissed today. So let's stand together and we're going to sing this in response. And then we'll be dismissed. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly
Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter. You matter.